you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 5. You're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. So Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. Friends, listen. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the Word of God. It's passages like this that make me excited about preaching. Because if you're like me, when you read this, you have all kinds of objections that come into your mind. You have an image of what a person who does this would look like, and it's not attractive, really, at all. I mean, there's things where part of you might feel like, well, gosh, it seems like I should be that way to some degree, but there's just so much in you that says, what about this situation? What about that situation? How does this work? Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What is Jesus actually saying here? Um, And so I get excited because we're going to talk through this. We're going to walk through these verses, look at some other verses, so we can see what is Jesus saying here in these verses. What does he mean here? And what is the picture of a human life that living according to these verses would look like? This is what we're going to do. We're in, this is part of a larger series called Conquering the Invisible Giants. These are things that get into our hearts and control us, and they begin to consume our lives. And so today, what we're going to talk about is vengeance. Vengeance. Okay, vengeance is angry retaliation. Okay, it's angry retaliation. And vengeance is not just a giant. It's not just one of these invisible giants. But vengeance is a monster. Okay, I'll just say vengeance is a monster. It's a monster that wants to enslave us and control us. Vengeance wants to shape us into its image. Vengeance is not satisfied until every part of your life looks like it. And so vengeance says at the core, I want to make you pay. I want to make you pay. I want to get you back for what you've done. That's what vengeance is. And this is where Jesus starts. Jesus begins with what we know. In verse 38, he says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay? Now, this is actually a quote from the Old Testament law. It's found in Exodus chapter 21, verses 22 to 25. Okay? Now, we need to understand this because... What Jesus is doing, just like last time, what's happened is that the people in Jesus' day have taken something that's written in the Old Testament and they've corrupted it. So it's important to go back and read it as it was intended so that we can see what's gone wrong here. So this is what Jesus, or this is what the Bible says in Exodus 21, verses 22 to 25. It says, when men strive together, so they're having a fight, and they hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, 
Okay, so two people are fighting. There's a pregnant woman next to them. They collapse into her. The trauma of the event, the stress, causes the baby to, to be born. And there is no harm. Okay? The one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Okay? And so here, what we have here is case law. So sometimes in the Old Testament you have laws that are just general laws that apply. Sometimes they actually apply the laws and say, in these cases, this is how you apply. Even though the husband of the woman gets to impose the fine, it actually gets enforced as the judges determine. Okay, that's key. The key to understanding this is the difference between justice and vengeance. Okay, between justice and vengeance. The command is given to be followed by the judicial authorities in the community. Okay, it's, the, it's the judicial authorities that enact justice. It's not the individuals who are harmed. Does that make sense? So this is super important. That's actually, it's the key. Because it's the judge's determination, it's the judge's sentence that brings justice. Okay, vengeance. Vengeance, when we go after it, when we pursue it, when we enact it, when we enact vengeance, vengeance is like a Trojan horse. Okay? And it hides in the belly of justice. Okay? Justice is something that God puts in all of our hearts. We all have this inherent desire to see justice done. Right? That evil should be opposed. That evil should be uh, dealt with. That good things should be rewarded. We understand that. We feel that. It's part of who we are. And yet, when we seek out just when we become the sole judge and the executor of the sentence, then justice becomes vengeance. And we have corrupted God's law. Okay? Because what vengeance does, vengeance executed by an individual, it creates this unending cycle of hatred and personal vendetta. Okay? When we take the law into our own hands, we pervert justice. We destroy life. And we destroy relationships. And that's what people were doing in Jesus' day. They took God's command, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and they corrupted it. Instead of the command going to the judges, they were doing it themselves. And this is what Jesus is correcting. And as Jesus corrects them, he also corrects us. Because how often do we take vengeance on people? And now it's not like we're, you know, pulling out a sword and cutting off an arm. Um, but how often do we extract our pound of flesh with the words that we speak? Right? Someone hurts us with our words. So how often is it that, uh, that when we are insulted, that we respond in kind? How often is it that when people use their words to hurt us, we just hurt them right back? How often is it that when someone goes out of their way to, to cut us off emotionally, relationally, on the freeway, right? You go chasing after them. You want to get them back. And at that point, you've crossed the line from justice to vengeance. Okay? And this is what Jesus is going to correct for us. And so you'll see in your bulletin, you've got this half sheet. This is the latest in our artistic designers. Um, this is by Matt Kirkland. 
Um, and he depicts the relationship in such a, it's, it's a really cool way. If you grab this and take a look at it, you can see this is one of these designs where the, the longer you look at it, the more that you see. And so let me just walk through and give you his artist's statement. He says this, he says, we often think of an eye for an eye as a pretty brutal concept. But when it was handed down to us in Exodus, it was given as a framework for justice. Okay, it was actually meant to curtail vengeance and to bring justice. He says, if you've been wronged, rather than seek out retribution on your own terms, you go to a judge who meets out a fair, proportional sentence. And the design is that it's fair and just as determined by an outside party because it's not like you're impartial. You can't sometimes determine what's just because usually for you, what's just is that they suffer a little bit more. Right? There's pain and anguish, and then there's a little bit extra because you had to deal with it. Um, and so you go to somebody outside, um, and then it's someone who's determining what real justice is, and then the punishment is inflicted by someone outside. Okay? And so, and then he goes on in his statement, he says, we still represent this kind of justice in our courthouses. It's lady justice. Right? You can see that's who, that's who it is there. It's lady justice. And she's personified with scales, so that she's fair and just. She's got a blindfold so that she's impartial, right? She's not giving greater favor to the poor or the rich, right? Everybody's equal in her eyes because they're covered. (laughs) Um, And then she also sometimes has a sword because she enacts punishment. This is lady justice. This is the eye for an eye. Okay, but he goes on in his statement, the twisted twin of justice is an all-consuming vengeance when we actively seek retribution ourselves. He says, we don't have a classic allegory for vengeance, so I've personified it here as... Who is this? Yeah, it's Ahab, right? It's Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. The mad whale hunter, right? You see there his ivory peg leg. You see his... uh, I mean, he looks like a swarthy sailor. And he says this, he says... Ahab is obsessed with avenging himself upon the white whale, and he will destroy his entire community in a rage-filled hunt for vengeance. Right? If you've read the book, this comes out in just over and over and over again. So just a couple quotes from chapter 36 of Moby Dick. Ahab says, because he's going after this whale, and one of his first mates says, you know what, it's blasphemy to pursue, take vengeance on a whale when a whale is just a dumb creature, right? The whale doesn't know any better. The whale is just acting, and yet, and this is what Ahab says. He says, talk not to me of blasphemy, man. I'd strike the sun if it insulted me. This is where vengeance leads. This is the kind of person that you become when you give in to vengeance. From chapter 135, it's a long book. Ahab says, I mean, this is as their their ship is being destroyed, as they're cornering in on Moby Dick, as Ahab's been giving, like, more and more of his crew are saying, let's just leave, let's just go, come on, we gotta, let's just, let's cut bait, literally, and go. And Ahab says this, to the last I grapple with thee, from hell's heart I stab at thee, 
For hate's sake, I spit my last breath at thee. Friends, this is the all-consuming vengeance of Captain Ahab in Moby Dick. I don't know if you can tell, but you can see faded out in the background of the red behind Moby Dick. It says, from hell's heart, I stab at thee. From hell's heart, I stab at thee. What a quote. I mean, how insightful is that? How alarming is it? Did you know that when you strike someone in vengeance, when you strike out against someone in vengeance with your words, with your thoughts, with your actions, that you're actually striking them from the very heart of hell. It's from hell's heart that we strike out in vengeance. Now, if you know the story, you know that in profound but intentional irony, when Ahab finally lands his harpoon in the belly of the whale, Moby Dick takes off and a loop in the harpoon's rope fastens itself around his neck and he is yanked from the ship and plunged into the cold oblivion of the ocean. Not only Ahab, but the entire community, the ship is sunk, the entire crew is destroyed and brought down to the depths. Friends, this is what happens to us when we give in to vengeance. I mean, we all get frustrated. We all want people to pay for insulting us, for slighting us, for hurting us. We all want to extract our pound of flesh to make sure that they get what they deserve. And when we do it, what Jesus is warning us about, Jesus is saying, you will get caught up in the trap that you've laid for someone else. You'll get caught up. It will actually get inside of your heart. And when you look in, what you're going to find is the heart of hell. It's the heart of hell. Justice becomes vengeance when you retaliate yourself. When self-interest dominates, justice turns into vengeance. Okay, And we see this in James 4. We get a picture of this. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Friends, we do this. We do this. We we jump into this cycle of vengeance and it gets worse and worse. It becomes more and more consuming in our lives. And so the question for us is, what can break through the cycle? How do we get out of this? Well, Jesus says that there is hope. Jesus says with confidence that things can be different. Okay, that your lives can improve. Your relationships can improve. You can take hell from out of your heart. And you can live in real freedom. Jesus says, look, there's another way. You can live if you will follow me. If you'll follow me. And so what is Jesus' wisdom? 
Well, it comes back to verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who is evil. Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. Because to resist, well, let's talk about this for a second here. Um, the key word here is, is the word resist. Do not resist the one who is evil. Let me tell you first what this doesn't mean. Okay? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean thou shalt be a doormat. Okay? This doesn't mean thou shalt be a pushover. This also doesn't mean you sh- thou shalt not be a pacifist. Or thou shalt be a pacifist. Sorry. Um, we know this because Jesus himself opposed evil. Okay, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' opposition. He's saying, you've heard it said this, but I say to you. Right? Jesus is confronting false teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We see that there was a time when Jesus actually, in controlled anger toward evil, he actually went off by himself and he took time to make a whip. Okay? He actually fashioned, he made a whip. And then he took that whip and he went into the temple and he used that whip to clear it out. He cleared out the religious leaders, the money changers, everybody that was corrupting the system of worshiping God. Jesus cleared them out. And it's really important because John chapter 2 says he made a whip. Okay? And so what this doesn't mean is that you should never stand against evil. Okay? Because Jesus did it. Jesus did it himself. He confronted false teaching and he actually, he, he opposed the sin that was going on. There were times in his life when Jesus did oppose people. So just some principles. Um, when someone wants you to sin, okay, and, oh, and following them or not resisting them would cause you to sin, at that moment you are to obey God rather than men. Okay? That's Acts chapter 5. Um, we also don't enable abuse. Okay? This is not an excuse for why you should stay in an abusive relationship. Okay, if you are being abused, abused physically, emotionally, sexually, the Bible would say you can get out as fast as you can. Get out of that relationship as fast as you can. The Bible says it's actually sin to tempt somebody else to sin against you. And if by being in an abusive relationship, by staying in that relationship, if your presence is, is causing somebody else to be tempted to sin against you, you have freedom to leave. You can get out of that relationship. And so that's what it doesn't mean here. When Jesus says, do not resist the one who's evil, that's, that's what it doesn't mean. But here's what it does mean. What Jesus is saying here, Jesus is saying, look, evil will come in your life. You will be mistreated in any number of ways. But vengeance has no place among the people of my kingdom. Vengeance has no place among the people in my kingdom. When he says, don't resist the one who is evil, what Jesus is saying in verse 39 is he's saying, don't become the evil that you oppose. Okay? Don't become the evil 
that you oppose. And this was huge in Jesus' day. There were so many people that wanted to pick up swords and they wanted to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. Okay? They wanted to overthrow them. They wanted to, and, and they were thinking, if we just pick up swords, we can fight in God's name and God will give us the victory. And Jesus is saying, no. That's not the way of my kingdom. Jesus says, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. If you live your life by vengeance, your vengeance will consume you and you will die by vengeance. And I think, too, for us, we struggle with the same thing when people use their words and act in ways that hurt us. Like, what comes out of us is a desire with our words, with our actions, to retaliate, is to return evil for evil. And, And by doing that, we become the evil that we are opposing. Okay, we become like the person that is hurting us. And Jesus says, no, that is not how God is going to renew and heal the world. Because that's God's plan. God's plan is to, is to, is to save the world, is to renew it, is to bring healing and wholeness. And so here's a paragraph from Romans chapter 12 that fleshes out, I think, in a fuller sense, what Jesus is saying in, in our passage. Okay, this is Paul talking. He says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And then look at this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. And then look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. That's the way of Jesus. Just another qualifier in here. If you read on in Romans 12, the next passage is chapter 13, and there it says that God has given authorities, he's given civil magistrates, judges and, and courts to be able to pursue justice. That's the way that God has built uh, into society. Again, it's the same thing in the Old Testament. It says the judges determine. Right? Paul goes on to say that the judges, the, the magistrates, the authorities are given by God and they're designed to actually be ministers of God's justice. They're the ones that exact vengeance. It's not personally. But, and so what that means is that if somebody has done something that's wronged you, you can go to the authorities and seek out justice. There's nothing wrong with that. And that would be perfectly consistent with what Jesus is saying in our verses today. Okay? And so you can seek out justice. Okay, if it's within the church, 1 Corinthians 6 says you need to come to the elders of the church to get justice. You don't drag the internal, uh, internal fighting of the church before a court that's outside of the church. So you come to, you come to the elders um, for justice. Um, but you can pursue justice in the court system. That's what it's there for. Okay, but, but personally, how do you respond? That's what Jesus is getting at. Personally, how do you respond 
to the people um, who wrong you. And Jesus says the way that you respond to them is that you don't become the evil that you oppose. Okay? You don't resist the one who is evil. You don't become like him. And he gives us four examples. Okay? He gives us four examples. The first one is, uh, he, is four instances of where, you, where evil is perpetrated against you. And the first one is when your dignity is attacked. Okay? He says if anyone slaps you on the right cheek. Anyone slaps you on the right cheek. So back then, even more so than it is today, although it used to be more so today, to be slapped was to be insulted. Okay? You would slap someone. You, you really wouldn't slap anybody unless they were inferior to you. Okay? And so to slap somebody is to declare that they are inferior. Now, vengeance would say, somebody slaps you, hit them back. Right? Hit them back, an eye for an eye. They deserve it. But Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Turn to him the other also. Jesus says, hitting back will keep the evil in circulation. Hitting someone back will actually cause the evil that has come from their heart to infect yours. Don't return evil for evil. Offering the other cheek, it means, look, you can hit me again if you like. You can try to call me an inferior by the actions that you're taking, but I've got dignity and I have an approval that goes so far above you. You might think I'm inferior, but God doesn't. God has given me a dignity. God has called me his child. And you know what? I don't need to become like you. I don't need to become like you. Go ahead. If it really means that much to you, take another shot. To do this, you've got to believe that God is your defender. It takes an act of faith to respond that way. To offer someone the opportunity. But what you do, when you, when you act like that, when you say, may I have another? What you're saying is, you know what? I live in a realm that's really different from the realm of this world. I've been loved by a God who cares so much about me and is, who, whose approval means so much more to me than to retaliate against you. My needs have been met. My needs have been met, and I'm not going to stoop down to your level. It takes faith. It takes faith. The second example Jesus gives us is in verse 40, and this is with security. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic... So back in that day, most people only wore two garments, okay? There are places in the Old Testament, as you read them, they talk about changes of clothes being like a currency back then. And, and it's because most people only had two garments. They had an outer garment and an inner garment. The inner garment was their tunic, their outer garment was their cloak, okay? The inner garment was just what they wore. It's kind of like, it's just, it was like their robe, what they wore. Um, the outer garment was designed to be a little bit more functional, 
Okay, it was designed to help you carry stuff. You know, you'd make folds in it and pocket it up, and you'd carry stuff in your cloak. Um, at night, you'd keep warm with it. Okay, and so for someone to want to steal or to sue you for your, ton- for your tunic, you know, vengeance would say, hey, fight back. Vengeance would say, defend yourself. I think Jesus here is talking about a situation where you can't win. Okay, because there are provisions all throughout the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that would say if someone's wronging you and you can appeal, then you should do that. Okay, you don't want to allow somebody to necessarily sit against you if you can help it. Okay, but what Jesus is talking about, Jesus is speaking into a world where you had Roman oppressors who could abuse justice. Jesus is speaking into a world where you had religious leaders, unfortunately, who were also abusers of justice. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that if you're stuck in a situation and you know you're going to get the shaft and somebody wants to steal your inner garment, the best way for you to respond is to give them that and go ahead and take off your outer garment as well. By doing that, what you will be doing is you will be exposing the person for the evil that they're committing. Because they're going to come and steal your inner garment, and you take off your outer garment so that you're standing there in a loincloth, you know, where you're basically standing there naked. Um, It's going to demonstrate just how evil this person is being. Does that make sense? And so... Jesus is saying, look, when it comes to security, end the suit by stripping yourself. Show them how evil that they are and that you're going to trust that God's going to provide for your needs. That's what he's saying. And by doing that, you show that life is more than stuff. Life is more than your things. That you've got a God, you have a community, you have a church family that will take care of you that will care for you. I want you to think about, as we go through these examples, like what are situations in the workplace? What are situations at home with your spouse, with folks that that you deal with, where this could come into play? So the third example Jesus gives is, um, is in verse 41. It's really talking about your liberty, your freedom. Verse 41, he says, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. So again, this, you need to understand the context. Back then, um, it was law that said that a Roman soldier could basically grab any civilian. Uh, you know, if a Roman soldier's hiking from South Jerusalem to North Jerusalem, you could grab any, any, um, any civilian and say, Look, here, hold my, hold my pack. You know, hold my bag. You know, I mean, think about these big military packs that carry all their gear, right? 50, 60 pounds. The law said that they could consign a civilian to carry it for them for one mile. So the image here would be that um, if we were being controlled by the Taliban, right? If we were being occupied by the Taliban, so that a Taliban could, soldier could come in here, grab you and say, look, here's my bag, 60 pounds, I want you to bring it for, you know, walk with me a mile. Then I'll grab somebody else when I get to that place and somebody else and somebody else, somebody else. That's the image. 
Vengeance says, tell him to go to hell. It's where he belongs. Right? Or if you're going to do it because you know that if you don't do it, things are going to get really bad, then make him sorry that he asked you. Think about it, you know. Okay, I'm wearing this around my ankle. You know, tear this thing up so his pack isn't a shambles by the time we get a mile. Right? That's what vengeance would say. What does Jesus say? If anyone forced you to go one mile, go with them two. Go with them two. Can you imagine that? What kind of attitude would you need to have to be willing to say to a soldier, okay, let's go. Is this it? Is your pack okay? All right, come on, let's go. What's it like to be a Roman soldier? I mean, Jesus is saying, go two miles. Go two miles with him. Why would you do that? How could you do that? What would have to be going on inside of your heart and your mind for you to be willing to respond that way? When your boss comes and asks you to go two miles, or one mile and you go two, or two miles you go four. When your spouse, when a friend asks you to go a mile. Now again, let me, as we look to apply this, let's remember that Jesus isn't saying that you need to be a doormat. Okay? Jesus isn't saying that you should disobey God in order to obey somebody else. And so, if someone asks you to do something, it doesn't mean that you always have to do everything. Okay? In our situation today, you could say, you know what? God has called me to be a hard worker here in this office. God has called me to do a good job and do my work with joy and excellence. But God has also called me to other priorities in my life. God has called me to care for my family. God has called me to participate in other things that are outside of my work. And right now, in order for me to do what you're asking me to do, I'm going to have to, you're asking me to say no to a lot of other things. And at this point in my life, I can't say no to those things. I hope you understand. Do you understand? Does that make sense? So again, it takes wisdom. It takes community. I mean, this, this is why we have community groups. This is why we discuss the sermon in our community groups. Because when stuff like this comes up in our situation, we're like, I want to obey Jesus, but wait, but I feel bad because if I keep saying yes to my boss, I'm saying no to my wife. What if my wife asks me to go a mile? I'm stuck, right? My wife asks me for a mile. My boss asks me for a mile. What do I do? In your community group, you can say, you know what? The Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, right? Your priorities are God, family, work, okay? And let's pray that God would give us wisdom to find another way through this. Okay, and so when it comes to understanding the scriptures, Jesus gives us principles, but we need to apply them in community. Right? It takes wisdom for us to know the best way to put them into practice. Because sometimes 
we can think, wow, okay, this means I've got to stay at work. If he asks me for an hour, I've got to stay two. Right? It doesn't always mean that. It doesn't always mean that. But Jesus is saying, show this particular soldier that your life is about caring for people. I mean, that's the core, right? That you're going to decide to care, that in your life you're willing to serve even serving your enemies even serving your oppressors. The fourth example that Jesus gives us is with money. Is with our money. This is verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So again, now, I think that Jesus is talking about people who have legitimate needs. Okay, there are people, or there are places in the Bible where it says those who don't work shouldn't eat. Okay, there are principles about, uh, about work that need to be factored in here. So this isn't just walking around with a wad full of cash, and if anybody happens to be standing next to you and throws out a request, that you're just throwing your money out. Okay? Um, because again, what Jesus is talking about, Jesus is talking about the kind of attitude and love and heart that will transform the world, that will transform our city. Okay? And it takes wisdom, again, to know how to apply this. Wisdom is not an excuse to not obey Jesus. It's not an excuse to ignore Jesus. Because that's kind of sometimes, oh, wisdom says I don't have to do this. Right? Jesus is calling us to live with open-handed generosity and a real desire to love people and to do what's best for them. Okay? When there's legitimate needs, what's best is to help meet those needs is to not squeeze on and to say, because what vengeance would say is, ah, oh, you don't deserve it. You deserve to be in the place that you're at. Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Open your hand and live a generous life. Live a generous life. That's what I'm calling people for, forward to. And so in these four examples, Jesus is saying, look, it's better to have no vengeance at all, but rather a creative way forward reflecting the astonishingly patient love of God himself. Like, that's the key, is that we want people to see who God is through our attitudes and our actions. I know this is challenging. It's hard for me. It's hard for me to remember this, let alone to do this. It's so easy to give in to the vengeance when it comes. But we need to remember that before that this is good advice, this is good news. Okay? Before this is about us, it's about Jesus. Okay? Jesus turned the other cheek. He offered his other cheek. Then he offered his hands and his feet and his side. He did that for you. When vengeance would say, you deserve to be punished, Jesus said, wait, let me step in there. Cheek, hands, feet, and side. For Jesus, when they sued for his tunic and they divided his garments among them, he gave everything. He gave his life. Did that for you so that the vengeance of God wouldn't come upon you, but would come upon him. Jesus didn't go one mile. He didn't go two miles. Jesus went all the way to hell and suffered for you. 
And then he went all the way to heaven to bring you there. When we are needy, when we beg and plead for blessings that we don't deserve, Jesus says, I emptied myself. I became poor so that you might become rich. Friends, it's when you realize that Jesus did these things and did them for you. That's when your heart changes. That's when you become a different person. That's when you find the black heart of hell gets taken out and thrown far away and what God puts into you is the same heart that he loves you with. Brothers and sisters, that is what Jesus gives to us. That's the heart that you want to walk in. That's the heart that you want to live in. That's where you go when, you, when all you want to do is seek vengeance. You go to the cross and you find God's heart there. And you trust. Because when you trust in Jesus that he did these things for you, what you find is that he puts his heart in you. God raised Jesus from the dead. He made Jesus' life last forever. He died for us. But he lives by that righteous heart. And in his resurrection, we find a heart that will make us like him. And when you follow him in that, God will honor you. If you suffer for acting this way, God will be there with you. He will be cheering you on. He will be understanding you and he will give you the strength that you need. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that, that with these words, these words that are so challenging, they're so different from our natural inclination. Lord, thank you that you haven't called us to anything that you haven't done already for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would see us or that you would help us to see you turning the other cheek, offering your life, that you would see us giving up your tunic and your cloak, that you would see us walking one, two, three, four miles all the way to hell and back again, all the way to heaven to bring us there. Lord, this is the generous love that we need to receive so that we can love others like this. Lord, that's what we want. We want this family, this church family, to be a place where this kind of love and sacrifice, this kind of patience and understanding abounds. Lord, we want to be this family filled with people who look like this, who are living to the beat of a drum that no one can see, but they can feel it. They can hear it in our, in our lives. Lord, change us. Forgive us for our vengeful seeking retaliation. Forgive us and cut us loose from vengeance. And Lord, for those who are here who, who don't know you, Lord, help them to receive your sacrificial forgiving love. Help them to say yes to Jesus and his ways. 
Transform our hearts, Lord. Help us to live this heart out this week. In Jesus' name, amen.